Do you love track and field? Well, I'm sure by now everyone knows how much all of us in the Sidious Mag family love track and field and how much we enjoy sharing that love with you. Well, we've got a few big love sharing ideas in the works for the upcoming season, none bigger than what we've got planned for in Eugene, Oregon. Our summer of Hayward begins with the Nike Prefontaine Classic on Memorial Day weekend, where Team USA's men's and women's 10,000 meter teams will be determined. We'll then travel to the Toyota USATF Outdoor Championships in late June, which will determine the rest of Team USA, where we cap everything off in Eugene for Oregon 22 for the World Athletic Championships in mid-July, where Team USA will be the home team. We'll be there for every competitive moment in Hayward Field and hope to create some moments of our own pre- and post-meet with interviews, analysis, and behind-the-scenes stories with some of the track and field's most interesting athletes. At Hayward Magic on Instagram is also gearing up for all the action happening this season, and they want to see how you're preparing for the summer events at Hayward, whether you're in high school, in college, or professional. Show how you're preparing by sharing your training process on Instagram by using the hashtag MakeItToHayward in the description. At Hayward Magic, we'll select and feature the gutsiest posts in their feed. And who knows, the best submissions just might be compiled into a reel of story highlights and live on the Hayward Magic Instagram forever. The summer of Hayward will be unmissable, so you better not miss out. Be there if you can. Tickets are on sale now, so head to SidiousMag.com backslash Summer of Hayward. We love track and field. Welcome back, everybody. D3 Gordes on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network. I'm Noah Drotti, and this is Stu Neustadt. We are the co-hosts here, as we always have been and probably always <laughs> will be. A uh, really cool episode for you. Um, we've done a lot of these now, and I think this is uh, this is one of the really good ones. So excited for you guys to hear it. But first, you have to endure the spiel that I make every weekend. Until you guys do it, I'm going to keep telling you about our Venmo. You can find us at D3 Glory Days. It's the internet tip jar. If you appreciate this content, make a donation. It really helps us grow the D3 Glory Days network. A lot of cool content on d3glorydays.com. You can also find us on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter. We're everywhere. You guys know it already. But uh, just find ways to involve yourself in our D3 Glory Days community. Join our Strava group. That's kind of a fun thing, too. You can join us on that Strava group. Last week, I, I gave the top three in total distance. I'm going to do that again just because I think it's kind of fun. Austin O'Brien clocking the top spot at 100.6 miles, followed by Ryan Phillips and Peter Bromka making a debut on the top three on the leaderboard. If you want to be on that leaderboard, you got to join the group. Anyway, those are the ways to support us. Stu's going to come on now and tell you about a really special guest today. Yeah, today we're joined by Jack Flood. This week, he will be competing at the USATF Outdoor Championships to earn a spot at this year's World Championships held in Eugene, Oregon. However, what's unique about Jack is not only what he's doing right now, but his background as well. He started off at the JUCO 
SUNY Delhi. It was a JUCO D3 school. It's now currently a D3 school until he transferred to SUNY Cortland. His love for track and field and the decathlete has propelled him throughout his entire career and just the will and choice to get better. It was very inspiring to hear him come to terms with what he was doing that wasn't living up to what he told himself that he would do. You'll learn more about that later on, but it's something that I think a lot of us say we'll do something, but it's another thing to go act on it. And Jack acted on it. Another thing that made Jack stand out and be special right now is his social media following. He has a massive TikTok following that goes behind the scenes into his training, into his love for food and finding the best CPD out there. He also has a Chipotle sponsorship that recently just ended, but he had his own bowl that was in the Chipotle app. We talk a lot about how social media is a big part of an athlete's brand and how that can do wonders for the said brand. The link to Jack's website and his social media pages are in the show notes, so go check them out and give Jack a follow. A lot to unpack here. I can't do it justice right now, giving you the high overview. So you're gonna have to listen to it for yourself to come away inspired like Noah and I were. Thanks, Stu, for that introduction. And now it's time to sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Jack Flood. Here's to the glory days. All right, welcome back to D3 Glory Days. We're now joined by Jack Flood. You may know him from the Flood Bowl. We'll get to that, but he has the USATF Outdoor Championships coming up here this week in the Cathlon. Jack, welcome to D3 Glory Days. Thanks for having me, Stuart. And if you, whoever's watching this, you know, you're going on a walk, you're commuting. Um, make sure you tune into this. You're going to want to hear this. We have a lot to cover from Chipotle to TikTok, from your JUCO days to your D3 days. But before we get into the background, how are you feeling heading into this weekend? I'm feeling pretty solid. Um, I strategically went to Mount Sac to do a decathlon three weeks ago. Um, it is a little close to do that, but um, I ended up not finishing the deck at Mount Sac because it was more like a prep for this meet. You know, what's, what matters is the USATF meets. So the, you can't replicate a decathlon stimulus. So doing the day one, day two, see how I feel, I feel like is an advantage compared to the other athletes who this is their first decathlon. And it's really early this year. I mean, to try to peak in May, like a mini peak is pretty difficult to do, but uh, I'm just going to go out there, have fun and see where I'm at. Why is it happening so early this year? According to USATF, it's because it's too close to like, let's say we were to do the cap on June 20th or whatever. Everyone else is competing. The turnaround is too quick because then July, like 14th, 15th, is the decathlon for Worlds. So basically the top three or whoever gets the best scores, the qualifying scores will have almost two months to peak in July again. It does make sense. It really does. But uh, 
they didn't really give us that like information as as soon as everyone would have liked but yeah it is what it is you got to do what you got to do what is your like general recovery like after a full decathlon like how long does it take for your body to kind of go back to to normal and start the training process again yeah so i finished it was like wednesday thursday that night tag i took friday saturday sunday off even monday so that's like four days but i also did like I played pickleball one day. I went pool. I stretched. I did all this active recovery stuff. And then I really had a good workout on Tuesday to like fire everything back up. So almost a week, basically. You mentioned that it was a little bit earlier, or I guess a short amount of time in between Mount Sac and this weekend. How much is a typical like period in between decks would you like to have on like a normal schedule? Uh, I would say four to six weeks. If I had another week, that would have been a lot better because I could have put more volume in like two weeks ago. Um, it was a game of like, you don't want to get too greedy and like put too much work so you don't feel as sharp for the national championship. So it was like this little game the last three weeks, like, oh, I want to push it, but uh, let's actually back off because you're still like recovering from that last decathlon. It was a tough little thing, but I think it's going to pay off. You were third indoors uh, not too long ago yeah. in the indoor competition. Only two go to Worlds. Now that we're going to be outdoors, top three qualify. You have to be having some confidence from finishing third indoors? Uh, yes and no, because indoors is, is a heptathlon. The cathlon is a different game. Um, the field is way bigger. Uh, like Zymic, who made the Olympic team, was in that indoors. Bastian didn't even finish. So um, I'm not going to let, like, the place get to my head because you got to look at what actually happened, you know. Uh, I'm not one of those people, like, oh, my place third. Oh, cool. Like, I'm third in Asia. It's like, no, you got to look at it from, like, a real perspective. It's like the top guys weren't even there. So it's like you still have work to do. And – but the beauty about the decathlon is like someone can have a uh, a great two days and just really blow up. Like it could be anyone's game. That's that's the beauty of it. And hopefully, not hopefully, we'll see if it's me. You know, who knows? Kind of set the scene for people who may not follow decathlon very closely. Like who are who are the top guys in the country right now? Who do you view as your closest competitors? So I would say the top guys, Garrett Scanling. Zymic, he's made the last two Olympics. Bastien, he placed pretty high at Worlds this year. And then Harrison Williams. It, it's the, the field is starting to get really deep this last couple of years. Let's see. He Joe Delgado's in it now. Devin Williams, he's been a good decathlete for a while. I don't think he finished the trials, but it seems like he's like trying to get back to it in his top form. It's a highly competitive meet. I mean, like, everyone is – Garrett's in a different league right now. I mean, he really is. Like, he's earned it. I mean, he, he's been a beast for a long time. Zymic, too. So, it's like – those are the top guys, but there's, there's, there's guys who are, like, coming up that are going to one day and, like, I would say a, a year or two or two or three that are going to, like, put the top guys on their feet, like, to be honest, like that's what's going to happen. 
you saying the top guys not competing at indoors, similarly on the distance side of things, we've seen a lot of top athletes kind of choose not to compete indoors, even though there is a world championships. Do you find it annoying as an athlete and a, a fan of track, not having the best be in competitions when there is a world team to make? Yeah, I think, I mean, yes, as a fan perspective, but as an athlete perspective, everyone's in their own little process and their own real life situation. So you gotta have to see like Trayvon Bromel, why would he do indoors? He he wants to win outdoors. You know, that's where like the title is, you know, fastest man in the world for hundred, not really the sixty. So you kinda for the track world, you see why they do it. As a fan world, you'd be like, why wouldn't he do it? You know, so it's it's kinda hard. It really depends who you are as an individual to look at it. I mean I respect Trayvon for not doing 60 because I want him to win outdoors, you know, and I think he had to not do indoors to peak at outdoors at the right time. So how often do you get to see like your like full field of competitors? Um, Cause you don't do, you can't do a ton of decathlons yeah. and the ones you do, you're, you know, the whole field isn't there. Is it really only at these U S championships that you get everybody together? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a once a year thing. It's really insanity if you think about it, like how much we train for two days of the year. But um, that's what life's about. You know, you you work all year long to show the product of what you did in the moment of a major championship. You got to live in the moment or you just wasted it. Let's hear about your training on a daily basis. Like, do you have specific days on when you work on different events or what's like a normal week look like for you? Yeah, so let's see, Monday I would do shot put, some sprints. Um, recently I've been doing shot put, hurdles, then go in the weight room, do some, uh, you know, power cleans, quarter squats, some bench. It's been uh, this time of the year, it's not that much lifting. It's more of like fast movements, uh, less weight, and a lot of mobility stuff, just keeping my body healthy. And then uh, Tuesday would be like discus, a tempo run. Then later in the day, I would pole vault. Wednesday would be a high speed day. So like two by 90 meters, something hot, very high intensity. Thursday, pretty, I would probably do my 1500 workout then. Um, for example, 800, 60 second rest. 400, 45 second rest, 300. Something that's like not too high volume because you're pretty taxed from the first three days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then Friday would be another Excel day and probably javelin. And then Saturday would be the 400 workout specifically. You just, it, you save, it's the hardest workout, but you save it for the last day because if you do it earlier in the week, it's going to sabotage a lot. So basically it's like a high day, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then lower intensity, Tuesday, Thursday. So Stu and I are both distance runners. I think a lot of the people who follow our podcast are at least primarily distance runners. We're and bridging we, the gap though. We're, we're bridging we're the bridging, gap. Yeah, we're bridging the gap. We're trying to branch out, but that's, I think, a fact right now. And so, you know, the way like a distance runner's training schedule works is they have like two kind of high intensity workouts a week in a long run, right? And so yeah. I think the mentality of a distance runner is like, if this workout goes bad, 
you kind of like a lot of people will sulk for like three days until they get <laughs> another chance, but you yeah. are doing like multiple high intensity sessions a day. So kind of talk about like what kind of mentality it takes to go like from session to session. Cause you may suck at shot put in the morning, but you yeah. have to come back later that afternoon. Exactly. Like to me, the reason I'm in the decathlon is because I couldn't go to a meet and just do one event because if I messed up in it, like imagine traveling to California to do a, for if you're a sprinter, a 13 second harder race. And that's all you get. It's like, I couldn't do that. Or like a mile, like I respect every event. I mean, that's why I do the cap on as well, but I couldn't just do one event. Cause that's, it's such a huge investment of traveling and doing all this thing for such a short, you know what I'm saying? So um, I love the fact that if I, you know, do bad in the long jump. Well, now it's like, all right, I got to get it in the shot, put the high jump to 400. It's like you rebound. You, you, you always, for an example, Aiden Owens, he broke the collegiate record at Mount Sac. He didn't do well in high jump. And then he killed the 400. He ran a 46 one, two. And then I heard him after he said, man, I was pissed after high jump. So I had to get after the 400. It's like, sometimes you got to look at, whatever happens in the decathlon or in each event, you have to look at the best perspective possible and just move on, you know, and Aiden Owens did that. He's like, all right, sucked at high jump. Well, now I got to kill it in the fourth, for example, you know? So that's what makes it so good. One thing that you do a very good job of is give behind the scenes look on your social media, both Instagram, but primarily TikTok. How much of that has kind of given you an outlet, not only to just express who you are as an athlete, but also kind of take your mind off maybe the, the grueling grinding weeks of training. You know, that's a good point because you're so focused on training. And like, I bet every top track athlete can relate to this. It's like, or someone who has a high passion for track, you do your workout and then you just think about what do I do for the rest of the day? I, I want to do the workout tomorrow. Like all you're doing is preparing for tomorrow, but you know, filming, editing and all that kind of takes your time away. And not only is it you're putting out to the world to inspire others, but you're also like building your brand. So it's like a win-win. Why don't I, you're doing the training. You might as well film it. You might as well put the extra work in, edit it, put it out there. And then you do, let's say one video a week. Well, that's 52 videos in a year. Or you do two videos a week. So that's 104. And then they might not do well at first, but then like once they start doing well, it just builds and builds and builds. And then it becomes fun. You know, you're just like, wow, a lot of people tune in. I might as well like mess around and like, you know, and I'll be honest, I don't really understand the impact and uh, if I even have an impact on social media, but because you, I can't really comprehend what 300,000 viewers is. Like, I just can't. Like, how much people, the, the scale of that. So, like, it is kind of odd when you go somewhere and it's like, yo, what's up, Jack? What? It's like, it just blows your mind. It's like, what? It's like, I'm, I'm just a normal guy. If you know what I did on app, an actual day, it's not nothing special. But the internet kind of amplifies it. But the internet's not real life, you know? And I, I'm going down a different path. But basically, like, Definitely social media is something that athletes didn't have back in the day. And if you're not trying to build yours um, as an athlete, 
then you're kind of at a loss, especially in track and field. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty cutthroat um, sport, unless you're top three in the world, from my perspective. Yeah, so I think this is maybe an interesting segue into just like the business side of track and field and athletics. I mean, something I'm really passionate about. I've gotten roasted for it like plenty in the last couple of years, complaining about how athletes have a hard time making a living like outside of a traditional sponsorship model. So, so there are two ways, right? The traditional sponsorship model, you just, you go out, you put up results and Nike knocks on your door with a contract, right? And you can support yourself that way. Or you focus on building your social media and like signing deals with brands that are not endemic to running and like building a brand that way and have money come in. And at somewhere, at some place they intersect. So like, are, are you able to support your athletics, you know, through like your work on your social media and brand partnerships at this point? Yeah, so this year, that's what also, that's what motivates me to like, there's no other option. I, I, like I don't work a job. So if I'm training and I can film my training and that's a way to like make money and support myself and to do all these things, then I'm going to do it, you know, because the pain of like working a job and trying to manage track is way higher than just putting the extra mile in and getting someone to film it, edit, stay up late because he might be heading till 11 p.m. and or like for hours throughout the day or trying to create ideas or have a whiteboard and like write it out or like contact like email these people all the time like get back to people just communicate like you said just business and it's really as a decathlete I was going to make a video today because um someone posted an interview with CBC I forgot what his name was he's a sprinter but he said it's kind of sad I don't know if this is a direct quote, but he's like, you know, sport needs to change when even the top 10 don't have a living wage. You know, I don't take that personal because I could say I'm top 10 in the U.S., but what am I bringing to the table if Nike were to sign me? You know, like how am I – they're not just – I'm not asking – you don't want a handout. Like, you got to produce. You got to do something to help that brand. I'm sure Michael Norman's helping Nike because he's placing high-level high meets. Fred Curley placing high at high level meets. So he's deserves the contract and the money because it's helping Nike. But if you're like a decathlete, you only do three a year, what kind of makes sense why like a Nike wouldn't sponsor you? Know? Only Garrett Scantling sponsored. Zymic, Steven, they're not. I don't know, maybe they've got reached out, but they haven't done it because they don't want to be tied down to something. Who knows? When you look at it though, from like, you, you know, your ninth last year at trials, and if you look at it, like, you know, each kind of event is its own sport in a way, like you're the ninth best decathlete in the United States, surely the ninth yeah. best baseball player or the ninth best baseball player on a team is doing fairly well for themselves. And so there's going to yeah. be a little bit of frustration in terms of like, Hey, I'm doing very well for myself athletically, yeah. uh-huh. you know, and now you're, you bring the social media side to it where yeah, you may not be like going to worlds and placing top 10 there, top three there, but you have a massive following, a big influence. Surely you kind mm-hmm. of see that as like a way, as an extension for a brand to come in and, and say, hey, we want to partner with you, not only for your athletic success, but for also your social media success. Do you think you kind of mentioned it, social media wasn't you know available back in the day and now it is. How important do you think that is to 
build your brand up while also supporting your athletics kind of in like a, a full package? Yeah, you need to do it. Like if you don't have the contracts or like the support from a bigger brand from your performance base, but let's say you're in my position where you're ninth best and you have a social media following, then you can find a way to get these brand deals and support because now the brands are seeing value in you because you have such high engagement and so much people seeing. If I post a video with a product and hundreds of thousands of people see it, then yeah, that helps the brand. So then I think there's going to be a huge shift where like, let's say like in the 800, right? Let's say you were top 10, you don't have a deal, but you have like such a bigger following than the top three guy for the Nike contract. You could probably get paid more because you could say and negotiate, look how much more engagement I'm getting. And you can even like this analytics on your social media. You can, you can prove it. Look, look at these millions of people seeing this or clicking this link to my page. And you, and I feel like it's going to have to change to where if your social media is doing so well, you, that's how you get a sponsor or a brand deal because to the, to the masses, if you're top 10 in what you do, that's legit. That's like, Oh my God, that's a wow factor. Oh, and he has this huge social media following. You see what I'm saying? I feel like it's almost like the bigger social media following is more important than the performances soon based on because you bring it so much to the table because so much people are seeing your stuff. I mean, Chipotle didn't do the flood bowl because solely because I was ninth best athlete last year. It was because, oh, he's a good athlete, but he has also this high engagement TikTok. So we're going to do this because it's, it's a win for him. It's a win for me. Let's dive into the flood bowl real quick. Like for people who haven't, you know, seen it, what is the flood bowl? How did it come <laughs> up? And like, how did that relationship with Chipotle happen? Yeah. So the flood bowl, basically because of the Catholic you're training so much, like you have to fuel yourself. And I would always basically every night for dinner, you go to Chipotle, you get, a bowl, you get everything in it, you get a side tortilla. Um, especially if you're like saving money or whatever you want to call it, or like you don't have a lot to spend. Now, because of inflation, it's a little more expensive, but back two, three years ago, eight dollars for this giant bowl side tortilla, probably three thousand calories, and it's healthy, you know. So that was like fuel for me to train and like recover. So I just started like, everyone knows about this, but I'm just gonna start posting videos about it, whatever. So I started posting videos. One gets a million here, 500,000 there, 400,000 there. And then like, I'm like, oh shit, this is working. I might as well just keep posting this content. Like, why not? And then I got in contact with Chipotle and like, what would your dream be with us? I was like, well, one, it would be cool to put my bowl on the app. It would work. It would be the best-selling bowl on your app. I guarantee it. And two, I don't know, represent you at a track meet or something? Like, I don't know. So represent your jersey, maybe Chipotle as your first Chipotle athlete. I think that would be pretty badass. And 
So they did the thing on the app. I don't know about the athlete thing yet, but I'm sure I can pull that off. Uh, we'll see in the future, you know? And the thing is, because the floor bowl is so well, now I have a relationship with this brand. We're probably always going to be working throughout the next six years, especially when I go to the 2024 trials, hopefully make the team, 2028 trials, make the team, you know? So I'm planting seeds now because I, I have a plan. I know what I want. I know that if I'm going to be training until 2028, I'm going to start building this foundation of social media now. So it can almost, it's a perfect word for it. It's a foundation. So that it can like, think about it. Social media is so important during the Olympic years. So if you are building it now in 2022 and you have this huge following by 2024, it's just going to be easier to get sponsors and brand deals like I do. You know, don't take it personal if you're top 10 in the U.S. and you don't have any deals. Start producing, start um, building a platform so you can, so it can be a win-win relationship between you and the brand. Yeah, I mean, the money faucet really like turns on in the lead up to the Olympics as brands want to become associated with athletes, especially in a sport like the decathlon where like the best decathlete is considered like the world's best athlete. It's a very good look for a brand. Yeah. I have, I have one last question on social media before it's probably time for us to think about moving on, but like, yeah. so like in my career, I've had kind of like a complicated relationship with social media. Like sometimes I'll put myself out there or just like start posting frequently. And then like one or two comments, like some negativity will creep in and I, and I'll just be like, fuck yeah. it. It's not worth it. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You, I mean, you haven't even, you have a much bigger reach like there's probably always those comments that come in there just every now and then. How do you kind of shut that out and continue to put yourself out there and not have it like detract from your mental energy? That's so true. You're definitely going to get a lot of hate comments, but it's really just entertainment for me. I, I find it so funny because one, it's a projection of that person. It's a reflection of them. Two, those aren't the people that are going to like, buy what you're trying to sell or if you're trying to like promote something so like they're not don't even pay attention to them they're just like spec they're, they're not even they're just like i'm trying to think of the right word but trolls just don't yeah just like don't even pay attention like who cares you know it, it like i said it's entertainment and just like who gives a fuck <laughs> she got like, <laughs> sent, like straight up like who if if i were i'm not imagine I was going around commenting on, you know, pray for those people because they need help. You know, like for, I couldn't even think of going to people's pages and commenting and stuff. Like if you have the time for that or the energy to do that, you're probably in a bad place. And, you know, I'm going to pray for you because like, I feel sorry for you. So like, you should never take it personal and like, yeah, never take anything on the internet first of all, because they wouldn't say it to your face. If they saw you in real life, they'd probably be like, oh my God, you're in, let's take a picture, you know? So it's just like, people are, are really just, <laughs> I don't want to get on this topic about like self-esteem and stuff, but like, you should just not care. Yeah, probably a good lesson for anybody, whether they're like Instagram <laughs> famous or not. <laughs> yeah. I love that advice though. Just 
pray for him and, and move on, which is mm-hmm. a great segue into figuring out how you got into this position in the first place and being able to compete again at a USATF championships. You started yeah. at the now D3 SUNY, is it Delhi or Delhi? So, yeah, so I started junior college D3, which is like the lowest level. <laughs> it's called SUNY Delhi. Delhi. All right. I always wasn't yeah. sure if it's Delhi or Delhi, but yeah, you started yeah. there. And there's eventually... a level lower than D3. There's JUCO D3. <laughs> well, there's G- yeah, there's JUCO D1 and then there's JUCO D3. Like, it's, it's kind of wild. <laughs> <laughs> bottom of the top story here <laughs> yeah literally how did you get your start there like what was like you know how did you start there and then obviously we can get to how you transferred then to Cortland yeah so um my senior year I was pretty bad leading up to my senior year like um athletically but luckily athletically like yeah. all I did was the 400 I think my PR junior year was like 56 so senior year Things started going well. Um, I start. I just randomly high jumped one day, and I was like, "Oh, you're pretty good." So I started high jumping. I had some history of long jump. I had history of hurdles, and because I was a runner, um, I probably would have been decent at the 15. Anyway, um, but my friend did the pentathlon, so I was like, "Yo, I'm gonna be in the pentathlon." I just, I just brought up this evidence in my head, like, "Oh, I did all these things," like. I could do it. Anyway, first pentathlon I did senior year outdoor. It was at the Red Raider Relays, North Rockland County uh, in New York. And I won. It was like the first thing I ever won. And like instantly, I was just hooked. I was like, I just add up the points. I'm like, I can score this. I can win the state championship. I was just like naive, ignorant, but I also like was on to something. And then I ended up winning the state championship my senior year after never going to a divisional meet, a, a state qualifier meet, it was just like this crazy momentum I had for like three months straight. But my coach was like, yo, what are you doing? Like, are you going to college? I wasn't planning on going to college because I didn't know what I wanted to, to do. So I just wasn't going to go, but it was like June. And they told me about the school, CD Delhouse, Juco, you can transfer after two years. So I applied I got in and you know, I was 17 at the time. I, I have no idea what I'm doing. It's like, all right, you're going to SUNY Delhi. I get shipped off there in August. I didn't even know what college was really. Like when I was there, I thought you couldn't leave campus. So like the first day my friends were like, yo, let's drive around. I was like, wait, you can leave this campus? Like you're allowed to go to a different town? It was just, I was just so stupid at, at the time. But I also was like, all right, you're doing track. I didn't even know what the decathlon was. So I never take offense when someone doesn't know the decathlon because I didn't even know what it was going into college. And then the first day I got to school, I started learning like discus, um, javelin, and the pole vault. So that's how I got to Delhi. That early success early on had to give you like this false sense of confidence in a way. It's like, no way I can be like this good this quickly. Like how, like early in into that JUCO career, did you realize like how much more you had to put in as the competition increased? Yeah, so this is actually, so I thought I like made it because I, I won, I was like 10,000, I won. Like it's going to go like this the next year. Well, I did end up winning the version three JUCO national championship, whatever you want to call it. 
in the decathlon, but the score was so bad. It was like 56, 30. And I knew, um, dude, you suck. Like, what are you doing? You suck. Like you may have won stakes, but you actually suck this year. Like you're really bad. And to be honest, like, yes, SUNY Delhi gave me good opportunities, but it really wasn't a good environment. It wasn't a good tra- place to train. Um, I didn't really have a coach. Like, I practiced on my own basically all the time. And I really, if I was smart enough, I would have transferred after the first year. But I thought I had to stay two years. Um, and I was like, I got into physical education as my major. And um, it turned out Cortland was like a really good phys ed school. So I always wanted to go D1. Like I was that stupid kid who was like, oh, I have to go D1. Juco, I got to go D1. So I was going to go to like University of Buffalo. They had a good like multi-program. And, but they didn't have phys ed. So I would have just wasted 40 grand. So it, I had to like let my ego aside go and be like, all right, you're going to go to D3 and we're going to win a national title. So like, it was just, I don't know. Um, where I'm really going with this, but I I just like I'm I was such a track nerd. You just look at tifers. You just look at what's who won this year and how do I get to that point um, in a year or two? You see what I'm saying? At the D3 level, at least. Well, you can do it at any level, really. And you just like if they can do it, I can do it. And then you just have a goal, and then you just train every day till you get to that point. You know. Like, and after junior college, I transferred to Cortland in 2015, seven years ago. That is crazy. My junior year. And it was a completely different environment. Like, it was actually, like, the coach was super serious. Um, I had other multis I got to train with that were pretty good. I actually did – this is actually wild. So, when I was at Delhi, reverse Cortland – and my really good friend, his name's Connor Christopherson, um, he was like my rival because I always saw him at meets and he always beat me. He had better scores than me. And the first person I see at Corlin is Connor. And we ended up becoming best friends. He pushed me a lot. I learned so much from him. Um, ended up beating him at the, the real deal when I was senior year or whatever for the Nationals. But it was just – that was the right place for me, you know, and whoever's watching this, like whatever your path is, like if you're actively pursuing being your best and like finding what you want, you will attract the best situation for you. You know, like, yes, people say, yo, why didn't you go D1 if you're this good? I wouldn't have succeeded at that level. I, to get to where I'm at now in 2022, 26 years old, I had to go through JUCO. I had to go D3 to get to this level. And it's a blessing because every year I got to progress and get better. And I got to know the feeling of winning. If I was in D1, I wouldn't know the feeling of winning and momentum and progress. It's probably very demotivating to not get better every year. And luckily that I got to get better every year. Yeah, I, I have a couple things I want to follow up on. Like one, you kind of described that moment of like winning states and being like, damn, I'm pretty good. And then oh. kind of having that realization that like 
as you put it, you sucked. So yeah. like, so you, you described like after you thinking you were pretty good, you got hooked on it, right? Like what kept yeah. you hooked when you realized that you sucked? I just love track. Like I, I look at the mark because decathlon's fun because you can get, it's e- you can get better at different events. You know, I was pretty new to the jab, the disc and the pole vault. So like you can always aim and like constantly have goals and, and check them off and get it the next height or the, the next jump. And I just knew it's a developmental sport. So I can get better if I put the work in, if I do the right things. I was not doing the right things in, in junior college. I was like pretty bad um, mental, mentally and physically. It just was not a good spot. It, it really wasn't. And I had some behavioral issues I, I say behavior because like I would I wouldn't keep promises to myself I would stay up late I would I mean if we're gonna be real like I was like a pretty bad pothead like we I haven't told anyone this but like our the group I was with we smoked every single night the whole year like I'm an athlete you're not supposed to be doing that stuff and really once I stopped doing that that's when I started getting really good because I was dependent on it. It was like, it really was like an, an addiction you can say. And so like, this is a crazy story. And I know I probably shouldn't say this, but like me and my roommate, like we made a contract for self. All right, we're going to stop doing this. We're done. And then that night we ripped up the contract and did it anyway. Like that's how bad of a problem we had. Like it was bad, but, there was really nothing to do in college because it snowed every day. Like, yes, we got the train and this bubble, this concrete track. Like it was like a 150 meter concrete track. Like that's what we were training on trying to be a decathlete with like no coach. So it was like, so this is what I really thought was like, all right, I'm doing shit at this school. But when I go to Cortland and I have all these nice facilities, I have coaches, I have a team, like a good environment. Look how much better I can be. Because if I got some success at Delhi with all this shitty conditions, imagine how much better I can be when it's this better school, better coaches. I wanted to follow up on another moment you talked about, like when you mm-hmm. got to Cortland and you met your coach and you realized like you had teammates in the multis and you had these great facilities and yeah. all of a sudden your passion that you had this passion in JUCO, but you didn't have the facilities or the infrastructure to realize it. And now you're at this new school and you still have the passion and now you have the infrastructure. Like, what was that moment like when it kind of all came together? Man, you're bringing me back. That was like the best time of my life. I was like so focused. I was so dialed in. I was so hungry because I had so much to prove. I had these two years where I was in a shithole trying to make it out. I did decent, you know. What motivated me at JUCO was school records, which was like 6,300. I got it. And and then it was like, I want to, I'm breaking 7K. Like the first year I get the court with, like I'm breaking 7K. The time, that's a big deal. To me now, it's not. But at the time, it's like, you're legit if you break 7K. So my only focus every day waking up was like, I'm breaking 7K. And it, like, I just remember that August, like, 
just the only thing I thought about was like pushing as hard as I can every day in training, like being the hardest worker. And like, um, I was new. So, um, the people in Cortland, I can't speak for them. were probably like, who is this kid? Why is he trying to like control, not control, but like be this like leader, like the best, you know, like, you know, like who, who does he think he is almost, you know, because they had these guys already set in who've been there for two years. And it's like, I'm trying to like almost take over, you see. And, but that was like, I love that time, man. I would, I would kill to go back because, but because I was just like, it's like throwing me back now. It's like, I need that hunger now, you know, it's now motivation is entirely different. You know, back then um, you had school records, you had NCAA titles, everything was taken care of for you. You know, you had coaches, you weren't like, you had food halls, you didn't have to drive everywhere. Everything was there. It, it was almost non-reality. It doesn't really set you up well for post-collegiate, you know? But, yeah, that, that was, those are the best days. Your first year at Cortland, you were two-time All-American, fourth indoors, third outdoors. I'm assuming that just added even more motivation then. You had one year left. You wanted to yeah. come to Cortland to win a title, and then your first year you hadn't. But at the same time, yeah. you really showed a lot of improvement. So, like, was there, like, this hunger for more? Or were you just like, okay, I, I think I figured everything out now? Um, junior year, I was pissed. I was <laughs> like, because I was indoor, I was the first seed. And then I got third at the national meet. Scores were really bad. But still, like, back in the day when, when it's like, you're in the moment. You're in the you can't see the bigger picture, you know, I'm more wise now, but then it's like a big deal. And then outdoor, I got, I tied for third, but there's no tie. So I got fourth and I was like pissed off. I was like, you serious? So then the biggest blessing I had was that summer, I was a lifeguard at a, like a pool at a condo. And I got to sit there for seven or eight hours and just like mental map what I'm going to do. You know, I just sat there in a chair. Not many people get, came in the pool. I, I just sat there and just was like, almost created this reality of like, all right, I'm going to go in next year. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm changed from junior year. And then I'm going to go out and win. And <laughs> literally even now, all I do is like, think about how am I going to get better at the decathlon my whole life's always revolved around the decathlon and everything i do there's a purpose and intention to everything i do even the social media I'm doing the social media so i can find and support making the olympics 2024 in 2028 but that's part of it i didn't have to focus on that in college at the time but i have no choice because i don't work i don't have a job so you have to do the social media so you can support, you can get food, you can travel, you can do whatever you want. You can gain so much opportunity like this. And this is going to stem to the next opportunity and the next and the next. And it's just a momentum builder. And I'm very grateful to, to find what I love to do early on. Because even though I sucked in high school until my senior year, my freshman year of high school, I instantly knew this is what I love to do. My, my first year, spring track, 
it was my favorite thing going to invitationals on Saturday. I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. I just somehow knew I was blessed to have that, that meaning. And I'm still doing it now. I'm 26 and I plan to go till I'm 32 or more. Who knows? So yeah, after my junior year, I went off. <laughs> and then after my senior year, after I won, I was like, I'm, I want more, you know, 7K ain't going to cut it. I want 8K, you know, and then I got, I went and did 8K. And now it's like, all right, you're at 8K. Let's go 85. And then we'll see from there, you know. Well, let's make, let's make a team first. <laughs> but it's going to take 85. What was that transition like from, you know, winning a national championship in college and then college ends and that infrastructure that had made you so successful in some ways kind of disappears because you're not a student anymore. Like, how did you know how to navigate and bridge that gap between like collegiate decathlon and then like post-collegiate decathlon? Very, um, very good question. I had no idea what I was doing but I knew I wanted to do it and I put myself out there. So literally after the, I won, I'm in the infield. My coach is like, you want to keep doing this? You're just going to have to find a way. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it myself. And like I said earlier, when you follow what you love to do, um, what you were born to do, some, something that gets you up every day and you take that risk instead of settling, the God will provide, God will do everything to help that come reality. So let's get into this. I'm very, very lucky. Every step of the way I needed to have happened to get to the next step. Went to JUCO, went to D3. Now let's get into post-collegiate. All these steps need to have happened to get to where I'm at now. And everything that's happening now is gonna, I'm gonna need to get to the next level later in life. So I was like, damn, what am I gonna do? Where's there to train as a decathlete? Like, and I didn't think I was that good because yes, I won the national title, but you're at 7K. Like, that's not good comparatively. I always thought, I always compare myself to the best. I never cared about where the national title. I really was, I wanted to win it just to do it, to solidify just doing it because that's the best I could have done at that level. But I knew 7K ain't shit. That's not getting you to a USA championship, whatever. So I looked everywhere on the internet, like, where am I going to train? So if you're watching this, you got to find it. I found this place called Athletic Lab online i saw this other d3 athlete that was a decathlete training i was like what is that kid doing training at this facility i gotta find what this place is turns out my older brother lived 20 minutes away in north carolina like the coincidence of that is is insane because i didn't really know my brother at the time because i was in college so i never got to see him i don't know nothing about north carolina but he happened to live 20 minutes away from this facility so I call him up, I say, hey, can I move in? And can I train? Like, I want to qualify for the USA Indoor Championship this year. So I moved down, I move in. I slept on the floor for three months because he didn't have a bed. I know it's a weird story, but he worked night shifts. So I never really saw him 
and he would sleep during the day while I was out and then he would leave to work night shifts and I would sleep and because we just we just met away we just found it out so and I took a leave of absence from school to do this I didn't finish school yet I know I did four years but I didn't finish school because I didn't take as much classes because I cared so much about track I knew school would get in the way so it technically took five years to finish school so I trained from September to December in North Carolina my first meet in the heptathlon, I scored 54-60, which qualified me for the USA Indoors because that was my goal. I, I did everything to get there. And that was like a huge spark. It's like, let's go. I took a risk. That was really scary. And I, I did it, you know. But And then I went back to Cortland 2018 that winter unattached. So I trained with the school, but I wasn't – a part of anything um i'm not gonna keep like going on i can literally talk about this story and how it goes it might take me a long time but the thing that motivated me to do that was even though i knew nothing of how this would play out after i graduated no after i got the national title i went to my old high school and I gave this speech to the cross country team in like August before I went off to this North Carolina. And I said, uh, I gave them, you know, how high school is, what's possible, college. And I said, you got to keep the promises to yourself. And I said, I promise you guys, I'm going to compete at the Olympic trials in 2020, even though it ended up being 2021. So this is back in 2017. I'm a 7K decathlete. But because I spoke it out and I promised them, I'm going to do this. You're pulled to do it. Meaning if you put something out there now, if you don't take the actions to get it, it almost destroys your soul. So like I put myself out there, I did that. And now I'm going to do everything I can to achieve that. And if I don't take the action to do that, then I'm basically destroying my soul because I'm not doing what I know is possible. You feel it, you see it. And I'm guided to do this, so I'm going to go out and do it. don't know how I'm going to do it, but it's going to, it's going to work out all in my favor, and I'm going to do it. And so to get the USA qualifier my first couple months outside of post-collegiate, which is evidence, you're on the right track. You know, you're going to do it. And I was like, I was like a, a kid in a candy shop because I was at the USA Indoor Championship my first year out of college and I'm seeing Christian Coleman break the world record in the 60. I'm at this crazy meet. I was just at a D three level and I'm just like, this is what I want to be a part of. That guy's nothing special. I can be that person. You know, people are going to, the way I'm looking at Christian Coleman, people are going to look at me when I'm older, you know, they're going to look at me like I look at Christian Coleman. Now, when I go to big track meets, I don't view people as like special. They're just human, you know, like I don't put this, like this label on them as just like, Oh my God, it's that person. It's like, no, you gotta be that person to yourself. And you know, you see what I'm saying? Like no one's out here special, like have that confidence in yourself and go out there and like kick ass. 
So when you're reflecting back on this story and, and hearing yourself say like you're sleeping on the ground because the, there wasn't a bed and you're an 8K decathlete now, would you look at what you did as sacrifice or would you look at it as, it, as the necessary means to get <laughs> to where you are today? Sacrifice, no way. It's necessary. And if you want to be the best in the world or be the best in the U.S., you can call it sacrifice. You're going to have to sacrifice. That's the number one thing in successful people is you're going to have to sacrifice something, whether it's family, whether uh, it's less money because you're not working now, whether it's if you want to call going out and having a social life as like a sacrifice, like you got to accept that. You know, there's a lot of things you're going to have to accept if you want to be the best, you know? And I'm not saying like, the best now were like born ultra talented and they're just like gifted because I mean you you see that athlete sometimes on me where someone's sprinting so fast and it's like they're just born that way you can't teach that you know but when you're a d3 guy or a juco and you see the progression you have something you have a hunger you have a an energy that no one else has because of what you've been through you know, like I'm sure Ayrton, uh, what's his name, Knighton, he just broke the 200 meter record. I'm sure he worked hard. I'm, I'm sure. But he was also born gifted fast. Like he was born fast. All right. Usain Bolt was born fast. Yes, he worked for it, but he also was like very blessed. He was designed to sprint, you, you know, whereas maybe I was designed to be a decathlete, but it's the work was way longer and harder to get there. And this in D3, it's the same thing. You're not like ultra talented, but if you put the work in over a long period of time, you can become the best. And you really have to give meaning to that as like not a sacrifice. So you've got a big track meet coming up. Kind of give us like the fans and new fans who are listening to this, like a guide to your decathlon, like what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Where should we watch for you to excel? And what are your like most challenging moments going to be? Yeah. So this decathlon coming up, I think I don't really, this is a tough, this is what I'm going through now because preparing for decathlon is like no other situation because you don't want to put, too much thought into it but you also don't want to put too little thought into it so it's like you want to check the boxes of each event like all right you might do something good here you might do something good here so i really have no idea i don't want to put a story or a label on i'm going to do this i'm looking forward to this event because it might cause unnecessary you just want to live in the moment like that's the key you can't you can kind of expect Oh, like this event's going to do well, but it's not really good to look in the future when you're in present. You want to be like, I do expect to run a really fast hurdle time. I, if the, the wind's good, I'm going to break 14 seconds. And I'd never done that before. I think that would be a pretty good mark. The 400, I'm expecting, if I break 50, I've never done that before in a decathlon. I think I can do that. Those are big marks for me. 11 seconds in the 100, I break 11, that's huge for me. And then I think just having like no major PRs, but just like 
one of your best performances in each event overall will make a good score for me. So there's nothing I'm really like looking forward to. Like, yeah, I'm going to kill that. I just think I'm going to do, have a well-balanced meet and just perform well in every event. No, no like tragedies where I'm like, that was bad. It's really refreshing to kind of hear that because I think a lot of times track athletes are getting this mindset of like, if it is this, then I know I'm going to be well, like a distance runner. If my split is X at the 400 mark, like I'm gonna have a great race or terrible example, yeah. but like stuff like that. So where did you kind of learn to kind of release yourself of outcomes throughout the decathlon and just let yourself kind of live in the moment and just focus on each event at a time? Just the expectations you create can cause so much pain. So I've done, I don't know how much decathlons I've done, but in my earlier stages, I would put these expectations on, you got to do this. And then you're basically creating this like neural pathway in your brain. Like if you do bad, I just did bad so much that I just went on this downward spiral. And I was like, I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. So I'm just going to like train hard. And then like, I'm going to do my best at the meet. If I do well, I do well. I'm not going to put this like, even in training, I had a shit shot session today, but I'm not going to go into the meet saying, oh, I'm going to sh shit the bed and shot put. It's like, no, I might have the best shot session of my life this Friday. The only way you're releasing it and do it is if you have experience and wisdom through just like competing. It's really just, you need to compete and monitor every competition you do and reflect. Because if the decathlon, if I revolve around the decathlon, all I'm thinking about is that if you revolve around whatever event you do, then you can monitor every race you do. And, oh, what I do leading up to it, that made me, and then I perform this way because of my mindset. Sometimes when you don't try or you don't even care, you do your best. But other times when you care and you want to do good, you tighten up and you suck shit. Like, it just happens. So you have to find this like ultra balance of caring and not caring. But the best way to do that is you just live in the moment and you just do your best in the moment. I would say like in my career in sport at this point, I've kind of realized that the only way to like, the only like guaranteed way to achieve success is to stick around long enough, right? Yeah. Like if you, if you just like hang out long enough, you'll eventually have success. And you kind of strike me as that person who has that mindset. Like you could go, you could go to a U.S. championship and finish last, but it's not yeah. going to do anything to dim your enthusiasm for the next championships or the next trials. And yeah. at that point, it's kind of been success is inevitable. I mean, is, is that, am I like interpreting your mindset correctly? Yeah. Like if I do bad, I'm one, what people struggle with is, other people's opinions of them, how they performed. You block that out. You don't give a shit because it's your life. I see these people once a year. I don't give, I don't give a shit what they think. So it's like, if you do bad, it's just motivation to do better the next time. It's actually probably better to, to lose or do worse because that's how you learn and you use those lessons to win, you know? And yeah, like you said, the longer you stick in, the better you're going to get. And then you're just putting yourself at a higher chance to succeed. But you also want to set it up where you don't um, make those mistakes and suck ass out of meat. You don't want to, like, you want to set yourself up always to do your best performance 
you may set yourself up perfect to have a good performance and you just don't have it that day. And it is what it is. I think we might have glanced over that when you made it to that facility in North Carolina, you still are, are you self-coached or do you have a coach? Are you still with some of those D3 guys that you saw originally down there? Yeah. So um, today I trained with Dylan Cooper. He's a D3, he's a Catholic. He's actually going to USA as well. And my coach is Mike Young. He, this winter I coached myself. I was going through an Achilles issue. So I, I was just like, I was doing a lot of social media, so I wasn't training as much. I was just kind of – I was just on my own. But then once March started up, it was like, all right, I need a coach. So I went back to Mike Young. But he's been training me, his program, since 2017. And I got some uh, TikTok questions here to kind of wrap things <laughs> up. You do have a website, calorieperdollar.com. Check it out if you want some of Jack's merch. But I'm going to ask you some of the – abbreviations and hear what you think these are the best at. So PPD protein per dollar. What's the best yeah. PPD you can get? The best PPD you can get is probably whole milk. I would get like a gallon someplace. You can get a dollar 50. If I didn't have whole milk, I don't know where I'd be as an athlete because like you literally like has so much calories and it's so nutritious. And I've had like two or three glasses of milk every day since I was like 14. All right, so if you're not drinking whole milk, you're missing out. I'm getting a gallon. I haven't had I haven't had a, I haven't had a glass of milk in like ten years, but I'm gonna. We could do the gallon here. milk challenge in the mile. No, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna pass. Do that. That's a I'm gonna pass. Up. I'm gonna pass. Up. <laughs> CPD is your classic calorie per dollar. I'm assuming it has to be the flood bowl. Uh, flood bowl is probably the best CPD you can get. Um, peanut butter, super high up there. This is like the tough part. So like. I haven't put as much effort into the um, like. There's so much you can do as an athlete to like r- really with your social, like have your links and just like almost have your own like business. You know, like selling T-shirts, selling digital products, selling eBooks, all this stuff. Um, but it's very hard to do it right now in competitive season training for ten events. <clears throat> so like when I'm done. It's like I could put all my energy into this social media and just like go on a tear. So like, like if you're in the off season as an athlete, like you have to capitalize that because you have more time and free time and stuff like that. And lastly, and probably the most important one, QPD quality per dollar. Yeah. If I got that correct off of TikTok. What's the best place to go for your dollar? The best QPD is, is Chipotle. There's, there's no beating it. But we're doing this thing. It's called the QPD Bracket Challenge. So after USA's, I'm going, I have like a bracket like March Madness, but it's, it's 32 fast food places. And we're going to battle it out. I'm going to go to every place. And if you make, so it'd be Sweet 16, Elite Eight, and then Final Four, of who has the best fast food places. I have no idea. Chipotle could lose, you know, but the link's in my TikTok bio. Download it, fill it out. If you win, I'll give you $1,000 with the perfect bracket. And yeah, we're going to find out which fast food has a QPD. Like we're testing it out every place because I say it's Chipotle, but something could be better. You know, I want to open my mind up to all these 32 different places.
why do you choose the same music for each video? <laughs> do it works. All right, guys, if you post something and it works, keep doing it. I didn't know CPD would work. I just did it as a joke, but it worked. So I just kept putting them out. You know, if you have a theme of a video or a thing you do that works, you keep doing it. If you have a theme that's not working, then stop doing it. And always try different stuff. Like who cares what people think? You just got to keep posting and whatever catches on, just ride the wave. And I do have two more quick questions from a fan, Chris Chavez. What are the most annoying TikTok trends right now? I'll be honest. I don't watch that much. I kind of just post. <laughs> That's pretty, yeah. Good way to do it. That way you you're not addicted be, to it. Yeah. You want to be the, the producer, not the consumer, you know? That's how track athletes are going to make it out. They got to be the producers. Well, that's all we have for TikTok. Jack, thanks so much for bringing us all the way about your social media, what that looks like for you as an athlete, your college days, and what's happening this weekend. We'll have everything in the bio to figure out how to follow Jack, what he's doing this weekend. But Jack, thank you, and best of luck this weekend. Thank you so much, Stuart, and thank you, Noah. Like This was amazing. I apologize if I was all over the place. There's so much I could talk about, but I love hopping on on these things because it's just it's just fun to tell the story and tell um, the real thing. You know, like I've never shared that one part about me with, when in JUCO, but you have to be real. You the biggest thing you have to be real with yourself, where you're at and what you've done, and like don't hold anything back. You know, so thank you for having me on. That's all for this week's episode. Thanks a lot to Jack for being gracious with his time and honest in his comments. This was a really cool conversation. I know Stu and I really enjoyed it. If you enjoyed it too, take a second to subscribe to this show, add it to your favorite shows wherever you're listening. And if you are so inclined, give us a five-star rating and leave a quick review. It helps us grow the audience. Otherwise, you can support us in all those ways that I already told you about. And I say it at the top of every show. I'm not going to say it again. Stu can't make me do it. So we'll see you next week. Here's to the glory days. Bye.